And that's what I decided. I'm going to murder my mother. But I didn't feel that I had to uh, face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm the king, man. I decide who's does what and where they do it at. So next time you see me, <laughs> I will kill you. I mean, I'm really excited about this episode. I really... Ed Kemper's one of my favorites. Yeah, man. As far as deranged, you know, lunatics go, right, right. he's one of my favorites. He's definitely an interesting cat. Oh, yeah. Speaking of cats, <laughs> it's kind of funny talking about cats with him. But, uh, yeah, are we ready to get into this? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, whenever you're ready. Get into the mind of Mr. Edmund Kemper. Alrighty, so hey guys, and welcome to the Mason Jar Chronicles. I'm Corey, and I'm joined again by Johnny. Uh, you got one more episode, dude, and then you're the longest running uh, second host that we're gonna have. Really? No, actually, I think Jessica and Derek did three episodes. You got two more episodes, and then you're the longest running uh, other host besides me. Do I get a like a mug? You don't get anything. I'm sorry. No, not even like a T-shirt. No, I don't have any of those things to give you. Yeah, well, it's good to be back again, yeah. You got I, recognition uh, just now, so that's something. Right, right. Yeah, I appreciate that. All 40 people are going to know. <laughs> yeah, they're going to know that I'm not getting a mug. Yeah, that you're not just going to dip out, you know? Yeah, or that you're not getting anything for your services. Well, you know, I, I've done plenty of service without any kind of retribution. You got plenty of retribution. You got to live on a boat for a very long time. You know, I, I will say ship life isn't as bad as uh, the overall politics in the military. I don't mind being out at sea. Yeah, that sounds rad. Seek all kinds of water. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> it starts to look the same after a while, huh? It's. I was talking to someone the other day about it, and the, one of the most interesting feelings that uh, I would get would be, like, say we were pulling out uh, and going out to sea for a few months, but... Uh, that particular deployment, I would be working night check. So we would leave the pier at like 11 a.m. Uh, and that's when we would muster, make sure everyone's accounted for, everyone is on on board. And then night check, we go to sleep. Like, it's like, I got to be up in a few hours. So yeah. I, go to, I go to bed when we're tied to the pier. And then you, you wake, wake up, up and you're in the middle later. of the ocean. Yeah, you walk out and there's nothing. There's Dang. absolutely nothing. It's uh, it's. It sounds it's like a weird pretty, feeling. It's very surreal to yeah to wake up. It yeah, sounds like a really. It sounds like a, on a really big scale that video of the guy who is asleep in the tent and his friends pull out his air mattress and put him on the water. It seems like a yeah. really big scale version of that exact prank. Well, at least he could see land, you know. Yeah, you could. Uh, yeah, it's. No, we would. You know, you spend a few months out at sea and. Even if it's just a lone rock that's just, uh, you know, it's popping exciting. down the water. And it just, yeah, you get so excited about a, a single rock that is not habitated. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's just it's kind of like man. It's kind of like when you get to basic training and, like, all the girls are really ugly, but then by the time you leave, they're all, like, super hot. Well, and that's how, you know, sea life is. You know, you go out to sea and you get the sea goggles yeah, it's like, weird because uh, basic training, all the girls was, were ugly, and then at the end, they were all uh, supermodels. It's pretty weird yeah, how that happens. I uh, I was in a I was in an all male division uh, in boot camp, but there are co-eds. So I, I thought I always thought that was interesting. Oh, that's First, a perfect I mean, caveat, caveat, dude. That's a perfect caveat talking about co-eds. 
Oh. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of co-eds, today we are getting into a great and – well, great as in bad, but I'd say very prolific serial killer. Uh, after his capture, he was the first stop for the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit on their journey to interview America's most notorious serial killers, which he is one of them. Uh, they did this to get into like the psyche of uh, serial killers and try to solve pending investigations, I guess pending serial killers that they had uh, on the loose. And if you can see it all on uh, Mindhunter. It's on Netflix. It's actually a really great show. Um, I still haven't checked it out. I need to. Dude, uh, well, it's, it's so um, good. I'm Netflix Netflix free. I uh, I finally uh, just got rid of it because I wasn't using it. And oh, I really dude, you can. I'll send you my stuff. You can log into mine if you want. All right. On. Yeah, we can just. Uh, That's what friends are for. I also Netflix, yeah. I also have commercial free Hulu if you're in on, into, interested in that. I've never had Hulu. I, I've always wanted to get it simply just so I could have like up to date series. But pretty good, dude. A lot of Bob's Burgers on there. But anyway. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, today we're talking about Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. Uh, Edmund Emil, I think it's pronounced Emil. It looks I, like I think Emil. So too. Yeah. Uh, so Edmund Emil Kemper killed six young girls in the 1970s, and in 1973 he killed his mother and her best friend. Uh, in my opinion, him killing his mom was okay with me because uh, she was a total bitch his entire life. And we'll get into uh, how she was a total bitch, but it's what he did after he killed her uh, that I really can't get behind. I can't uh, <laughs> fathom doing that. It's just, oh man, it's getting pretty. Right. It gets pretty you, dark real quick too. You know that being said, I it's hard for me to say anything too negative about Ed Kemper simply because uh, you know just understanding his background, his childhood. The guy Him killing lacked. his mom, I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know. Well, she, yeah, I mean, he just he wasn't comforted, he wasn't consoled. But these other six girls, I mean, they were they were not collateral damage, you know. Like he's a fucking monster. Well, no, he still did something terrible, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but it's it's all it, it makes me want to just I, I want to sympathize for the families that that really did suffer the the terrible tragedy that it was. Yes. But it's it, it's interesting to look at the root of the problem. The psychology behind up, it. Yeah, he didn't just wake up one day and say, yeah, I think this is how I'm feeling. Like, I'm going to kill a bunch of people today. No. Yeah, this is a buildup. And that's what I thought was funny. Um, we'll start from the beginning. Uh, so Edmund Kemper III was born in Burbank, California, December 18th in 1948, which makes him 68 now. He is still alive, though. <clears throat> yes. He didn't get a death uh, sentence. I don't That's weird. Well, he, clinically insane, uh, they're uh, not going to... And it's the state of California, yeah. so execution's not really a thing there. Yeah, freaking so, liberals. Well... <laughs> I'm just... You know, I'm a liberal. I'm, so I'm, I'm more kidding. left than I am right. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he he was the middle child to Edmund Emil Cooper Kemper Jr. and Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper. God, Clarnell. Such a bad yeah. name. Terrible name. Don't name your child uh, Clarnell. That's a really ugly name. But it was the times where, like, Ethel was our... Uh, yeah, well, we're going to get down to his grandparents, and his grandma has a great first name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Edmund Jr., uh, Ed's father, was a World War II vet uh, who tested nuclear weapons at the Pacific Proving Grounds after the war. And Where is that? Do you know? know? Yeah, because I have no idea. The Pacific Proving Grounds are... Uh, it's They're scattered all over the Pacific Ocean, 
but more remotely uh, located near uh, the Marshall Islands. And it's simply just an area where the government tests nuclear uh, bombs. They just go down there and blow shit up? Yeah, yeah. So I guess they see it doesn't affect, uh, you know, immediate population. Yeah, fuck those which people I'm sure on the we'll island. Find, we'll find out long term. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and even after, so after the war, uh, his dad came home, uh, started working as an electrician. Uh, but Clarnell constantly complained about his job, uh, often berated him about it. For I wonder what she complained she was, about, though. Like, she you think she complained about the person. pay? Yeah, she just hated herself, I think. Well, I don't think anybody then was getting paid very well, but. You know, no, but I mean, times are different. Yeah. Of course, back then you would assume that a trade, like an electrician, would be paid pretty decent. Yeah. But, uh, so, but even after working in uh, the. Uh, Pacific Proving Grounds working around uh, nuclear testing, Ed Jr. has been quoted saying that suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. Jesus Christ, that is insane. I mean, if you're more toxic than nuclear war, it's, but it says a lot about an individual. If you're more toxic than toxic, like, there's something wrong with you. Incredibly toxic. Yeah, something very wrong with you. So when Ed Kemper was born, he was 13 pounds. Huge. Holy Huge. I mean, fuck, dude. I was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, I believe. And I mean, to me, that's that's a large baby. That's this a guy, big baby, dude. 13 pounds. <laughs> that's like, that's like, how this much? Guy had like, almost 6 pounds on me. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. And then by the age of 4, he was already a head taller than his classmates. He's a giant. He's a Sasquatch. Well, I mean, he's six nine now, so yeah, and like three hundred pounds. He's a big old boy, dude. He's large fucking man, huge. large man. I was six pounds. He's literally like more than twice the, my weight as a newborn. That's just unbelievable, dude. Yeah, uh, he was an intelligent uh, individual, uh, which I mean, to me, oh, I just it's it's fascinating that someone with such an IQ, uh, his IQ was one forty five. Uh, yeah. Which, if you don't know, the average IQ is 100. So, he was super smart, but he was a psych- He was a sociopath, you know. Well, he I was mean, a psychopath. Like Hitler, they, Hitler was a genius too, you know. But you know, he killed a lot more people than Ed Kemper. Yeah, but you know, at an early age, uh, he's you know, a lot of it had to do with Clarnell, I'm sure. But he showed signs of antisocial and psychotic behavior. Uh, he once buried a cat alive, and once it was dead, he dug it up decapitated it and put its head on a spike dude like so i mean that's just you know that's more work than necessary like he could have skipped a step if he just cut the head off before you know you got to plan these sort of things yeah you know it's what you're gonna decapitate someone cut their head off before you bury them well and i think it was just experimentation if anything because a lot of these guys henry lee lucas is a prime example a lot of these guys with these uh, mental health uh Oh, but dude, Henry Lee Lucas's childhood is like, I mean, Ed Kemper's childhood is like nothing compared to Henry Lee Lucas's childhood. Right. But Henry Lee Lucas at a young age, he had a cousin or someone who showed him basically how to mutilate and, uh, fuck a deer. Well, yeah, he started on livestock, like calf, calves and, uh, you know, whatever was, I guess they had land with animals and such on it. But yeah, these, it's. 
something to start with an animal and kind of move your way up. Yeah, to and I mean, it's 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 a proven thing that it's called the McDonald Triad. We talked about it. Uh, Elsa and I talked about it on one of the the episode about Jim Jones. Basically, the McDonald Triad is it's wetting the bed. I think it's past age five, if I remember right. Or age 10, maybe. But either way, it's wetting the bed at a young age, uh, killing and mutilating animals, and shit, what is the third one? There's another one. I can't remember what, what the third one is. But basically, it's like a serial killer, like, soup. Like, if they're doing all of those things, then um, it's more than likely they're going to be a fucking serial killer, you know? It's like the triple threat. Yeah, triple threats. The, 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 the sheer telltale signs that something is seriously unstable. We're basically uh, making light of a very terrible thing that happens. No, absolutely to not. And I mean, it's of course I joke about everything, but I, I work in special needs, so mental and physical disabilities are something that I encounter every day, and. To me, it's, it's it's extremely interesting to see what the mind can and can't do in certain circumstances. Yeah, and I mean that's why people are listening to this podcast because they want to see or they want to hear about the length a person can go um, when it's one nine times out of ten it's a sexual satisfaction that they get from these things, and that's I think that's what's so interesting is the length that someone will go to like just to scratch that itch that is there weird fetish i mean that's what's interesting about ed because you know if you watch his interviews or just the way he operated picking he's so mundane about it he's so just distant from it he was literally picking up hitchhikers that needed rides simply to give them rides he he had zero intention in the beginning to kill anyone none of them were targeted before they got the vehicle Right. He would play this game with himself to see how far or how long he could battle this urge uh, in order to overcome it and make the right decision. Well, I mean, it's like John Wayne Gacy. Like, he he had that boy. He had the boy stay at his house on New Year's. Um, and then when the, he, the, he woke up, the boy was in. He had, you know, had sex with him, whatever. And he woke up, the boy was in his doorway with a knife, and he thought he was going to kill him. Uh, John Wayne Gacy thought the boy was going to kill him, so he strangled him. And when he realized when he strangled him, he came fucking buckets in his pants. And that's like when he realized, like, oh shit, like this, you know, this is my thing. This might be uh, uh, slightly arousing. This is what makes me, you know, fucking, you know, jizz my pants. Right, right. Which is a horrible thing to find out. I think I would be upset if I found well, no, that I mean, out. It's, it's extremely inappropriate and, and, and graphic in nature, but. But interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, when you see a guy like, uh, you know, y'all talked about it in a previous uh, episode, uh, Ariel Castro. Oh, God. (laughs) What's disturbing to me is, all right, you got this guy. How many basements are there in this nation alone that have someone locked in it that we don't know? It just happened recently. Some girl got found. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's happening right under your feet. It's, it's happening just, right it's now. Insane. As we're talking, there's a girl locked in someone's house against her will. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, terrifying. The numbers are alarming. Yeah, it's. it's, it's so, I hope you guys are having a uh, swell day because it could be a lot worse. Much, much worse. You Absolutely. could have your head cut off and your mouth fucked by a 230 pound uh, giant. So, it could be worse. 6'9, six, 6'9. Nine, six, nine. Six nine, whatever. Yeah, he's fucking gigantic. So, 
Yeah. Definitely bigger than me. Um, but I mean, his mother was worried about him, rightfully, if we're going to get back on topic here. Uh, his mom was very worried about uh, him because, I mean, your kid's killing your cats, you know. Um, and it's weird because he kills another cat later on, and it's thought that he killed cats because, you know, we think of cats. I think of cats as more of like a feminine animal, you know. Right. And I think it was like symbolic that he was killing cats because he hated we, – I don't know if he hated women, but he felt that – he was never good enough because that's what his mom always told him, that he was never good enough for these girls that he liked. Because we didn't talk about it, but Ed Kemper was one of those, like, he's like a big, gawky, goofy-looking dude. But he's one of those guys that's like, you know, I want to have a pretty girl. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he's like, I'm ugly as shit, but I, you know, I want a, like, petite, little, you know, cute girl on my side. And it's like, no, it's just not going to happen, dude. Nine times out of ten, it's not going to happen. But... He's just like that, and he felt that if he didn't get those girls, you know, they were, it, they were the problem. You know, like they were bitches, they were whores, or whatever. But really, is he's the problem? Right. No, I mean, I think overall he was just he was just chasing that that relationship he never had with his mother, who's supposed to be the first woman that you have a loving, caring, comforting relationship with. Yeah, he's so the epitome of a displacement that, killer. Right, and I think by not having that, in a lot of ways, he was. Just testing the waters as far as sociability. Between like we hear about like serial co-ed. killers. We hear about serial killers and people are like, oh, well, you know, they're killing girls with blonde hair or like – and again, all the like movies and, you know, TV shows, that's usually what they say. It's something specific like that and I never put it together but those are – they're talking about displacement killers. Ted Bundy was a displacement killer. Um, right. He only killed girls that, you know, had the part down the middle and the long brown hair because that's what his ex-girlfriend that he, you know – broke up with him or whatever, that's what, you know, he was a displacement killer. He was killing around her pretty much. Right. So she's worried about him at this point. He's killing cats, putting their heads on stakes. Uh, so during his younger years, his mom would lock him under the kitchen table in a basement because she was afraid he would molest his younger sister. Uh, so there's a trap door under the table, and that was the only way in and out of the basement. Um, and... It just – it's kind of fucked up, but I don't want to sound like I'm justifying putting your child in a basement uh, I'm, you know, and making him stay there. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying Ed, you know, he's a fucking weirdo, and he did what – he did somewhat deserve to be locked in a basement. I mean if he was locked in a basement, he wouldn't have murdered, uh, you know, six girls and had sex with their corpses. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I, uh, I mean that's where I, – I mean I, I feel like I would approach it a lot differently. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't lock my child away. You know, I'd get well, them help. That's good. You got one on the way. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to start worrying about you, man. Um, but no, like, as far as, like I said, when he would pick these girls up, you know, that's when he would start this whole, like, ha- like let me let me fight this urge. Let me be the Basically, person. like, playing Russian roulette with their right. lives. But overall, he's, ba- you know, he's, he's trying to uh, fix himself. Uh, for lack of better words, I mean, fix is a, is a terrible term when talking about mental illness. But, you know, he was he thought that he could overcome whatever challenges on his own. You know, but once he started killing, that was it. You know, like he right, was but that set on. Prob- yeah, but he probably learned from his mother instead of her getting the right treatment that he needed. I'm just going to lock him in a basement instead of getting professional medical help. You know, yeah. like there, there are, of course, this is this is the 60s. 50s, 60s at this time. Uh, so, yeah, right now we're know, in the we're in the, like the 50s, you know, late 50s. Right. There, there weren't a lot of uh, 
public There's a stigma. resources. There still is a stigma. Yeah, I mean, they were still institutionalizing anyone with a disability. So yeah, I I can understand maybe she had just an ounce of love in her for her son to where she didn't want to give him up. I but don't know. I think she just she wanted still to be more torturous in my opinion. Well, yeah, maybe she needed him for an outlet. Who knows? I don't know. I know it's fucked up to lock your kid in a basement, but I mean, if anyone right. deserves it, it's probably him. Right. Well, not as a age, child, though. And and they were young. At age yeah. seven, his sister made fun of him for wanting to kiss his teacher, uh, and his response to that was, "I'd have to kill her first. So it's at like seven. That. At yeah. seven years old. But you know, it's different. He used to sneak over to her house, his teacher's house, and watch her through the window, fantasizing about killing her, having sex with the corpse. Jesus, dude, I just... But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just like any other boy, If you, a young seven-year-old, if you ask him if he likes a girl, he's going to die it all day. I mean, they still have cooties at that, that age. But I don't think his response is going to be, I'll have to kill her no, first. No, the, the average <laughs> typical child is not, not going to say that. I'd have to kill her first. Uh, so yeah, it's... Uh, if you ask a child, if you ask a boy if he likes a girl and he says, I'd have to kill her first, snatch him and take him to the nearest uh, therapist because he's well, going to fucking need it. Well, not even, I mean, at least, you know, follow up questions, you know, you know. just dig a little deeper. You know? <laughs> Did you hear what I said? <laughs> at least have the child draw you a picture of what he's thinking about. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no need to jump to conclusions and think that your child is... Uh, mentally insane or is going to grow up and turn into this uh, mass serial killer but it's okay to ask him why he's feeling the way he's feeling uh, I definitely hope my child never that's says one of those, that that's what well if, if he does or if she does you know uh, that this is one of those opportunities uh, for you to be a parent you know unlike uh, Cl- unlike Clarnell who yeah. was well, I don't even have a basement so well you know I mean <laughs> I don't think you need the basement. The basement is key. Basement's a big part of it, I would say. I mean, it helps, I guess, if you're if you're that uh, privileged that needs to keep someone silent. So, uh, so after his capture in an interview, uh, this is kind of re- this is relating to him saying this when he was seven. He says in this interview, he says, "I knew long before I started killing that I was going to be killing." So going back to saying that he was maybe testing himself, I think he knew he was going to do it eventually, but he even says that he one this one time he just had this, you know, he finally got to the point where he was like, I can do this now. Now I can kill this person who's in the car with me. And we're not going to get into uh the murders uh we're not going to get into all the murders on this episode. Um but Ed Kemper, he has an insane amount of interview time. Um, I think the only person right behind him is Jeffrey Dahmer in that two-hour interview that he has on YouTube. But I think Ed Kemper has like six hours or something like that. Like he has a shitload of interview time. Well, I mean, he's chillingly interesting. I mean, just yeah, and he loves talking him. about it. He loves talking about his, kill- does, his killings. You know, one of the things I did notice uh, in his interviews, he he can describe in great detail how he picked up each of these individuals. Uh, and, and how he uh, acted out, you know, what he was acting out. But when he speaks about his mother, is the only time you really see him get emotional. And he'll... Yeah. The rest of the time, he's just, tears. like, stone cold. He just... Nothing. He feels nothing. He even right. said that, like, he would kill again if he got out, you know. Yeah. 
So Edmund Kemper started killing at the age of 15. After his parents were divorced at age 14, Ed ran away from home in search of his father. He felt his father and him were close, uh, but I don't think his father agreed. <laughs> and his mother Fucking let him loser. go. He, yeah, well... <laughs> Attachment issues were definitely... Uh, He's searching for prison. any type of love at this point, you know? Right, just like any 14-year-old would. But his and it's sort of hard. It's hard not to feel sympathy for a lot of these people um, when they're young because they deal with such this, all this horrible shit, you know? Like, their parents treat them like shit and everything. But then you get to them, like, you know, killing people, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, like, I don't feel bad for you anymore. But it's really hard not to feel sympathy for them um, at this point, you know? Well, I mean, even the only reason his mother let him go is because she didn't want him either. Exactly. That's what I'm so, saying. It's hard not to yeah. feel bad for the kid. Yeah. So when he found his dad, uh, he had remarried, uh, and Ed's new stepmother didn't like him either. So, oh, my I mean, God. Poor kid, Everywhere dude. he went, this, he just well, – he, he was surrounded just by adults that didn't want him. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she said uh, he gave her migraines. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> most of the time he was around. So – so Ed Sr. got rid of his son and sent him back to live with his mother again. So, I mean, it was just a, just, a shitty cycle of uh, just abuse and neglect. Just and that constantly. alone can have a – and I mean with his past coupled with moving and moving and moving, like it has a big impact on kids just moving like that from ho- household to household. You know, like that, oh, even just that alone has a big impact. You know, my parents, uh, they split when I was five. I was in kindergarten and, you know – the custody battle and the divorce seemed like it lasted the following 10 years. But by the fourth grade, I think fourth grade alone, I went to three or four different schools in that one school year. And yeah, and it has a I toll mean, on a kid. You know, emotionally, I was pretty resilient. I made it okay, and I think I'm a decent adult. But as far as uh, academics and you know, social skills, I – I was always a step behind because I was always having to find a new group of kids that would, you know, had the same commonalities as I did. Uh, in class, I was always having to struggle to understand concepts that I hadn't yet reached academically or uh, I was in the middle of it at the last school I was at. So I can't. And it's hard to make friends, too, because you can't make right. worthwhile friends because you're Absolutely only there not. for, you know, a limited little bit of time. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, e- even my my small struggle. I, I can't even imagine uh, growing up in a world where I wasn't wanted. Not that I didn't have time to fit in, but that no one wanted me. I mean, both of my parents fought like hell to to, to gain custody of me. I think I, I lived with my dad at first for a while, and then I moved to my mom's as I got older and realized it was more stable as far as uh, education goes. Yeah. Um, I mean, to this day, my dad doesn't even have internet, dude. Jesus Christ, so, he's yeah. in the fucking woods or what? Well, he's in the woods, but even people in the woods don't have access to the internet. His excuse <laughs> is that he just doesn't need it, so. Oh, that sucks, I guess. Yeah. So, Ed goes home again with his mom, and then I don't know if he was pissed off, if he was going through an episode or something, but he kills another family cat. This time a little bit differently, so this time he cuts the top of the skull off uh, so that the brain is exposed. A little shout out to Ed Gein there because he did the same thing right, right, uh, right. to people. Uh, and he kept the corpse in his closet until his mom later found it. Obviously, she's going to find it. Uh, dead stuff usually smells like shit. So, uh, oh, I'm sure it was 
I'm, I can't even imagine. Can't the imagine the smell. It had to be horrible in a closet. So yeah, after of, this, on top of sneakers. Yeah. And just can you imagine what his clothes must have smelled like? He's so big. His oh my god! Imagine how his pants smelled. Hygiene might have been a, a challenge. Yeah, I can't imagine he bathed as often as he should have. Right. But anyway, so he's always a step ahead as far as social, like, as far as committing acts to to prevent any kind of attention that was negative. The guy might have showered just to stay under the radar. I mean, maybe as an adult, but I can't <laughs> so, imagine. I mean. Yeah, as a child, know, yeah, being a, being a teenager, teenagers smell. I work at a junior high. Teenagers smell atrocious. They stink. They stink. Okay, so yeah, if you're in a abusive environment, I, I can only imagine that you're not. That there's and not being as big as he is, he's huge. Shower. Yeah, right. I mean that's probably why nobody you know wanted him around because he's giant. He smells <laughs> bad. He's probably bumping into things and breaking everything. I mean he's huge as, right. at 15. But so. After this, Ed's mom told his dad, and then his dad sent him to live with his parents, Ed's grandma and grandpa, uh, Edmund and Maud Kemper. Now that is a very, Maud. that Maud. is a very strong name there. Maud. Maud. You know <laughs> that their sex was strictly for procreation, and nobody enjoyed it. I, I can, uh, I can see that. Yeah, Maud. Let's just name Maud. Maud. Like yeah. they were so bland and tired at that point. They probably. Because back then, my grandfather was forty when my dad was born. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm imagining that grandma and grandpa were in their late thirties, early forties when Maud was born, and they just yeah, they were like whatever, dude, just Maud. <laughs> Very. I'm sure uh, Maud. I'm sure Maud was uh, a, a wonderful lady. I'm sure she was very headstrong, much like uh, Ed's mom. So uh, they gave Ed a 22 caliber rifle for hunting purposes. You know, they lived out in uh, the sticks a little bit. Um, but Ed said no and decided to continue killing domesticated animals. Uh, so they took the gun away. Rats but his and squirrels gr- aren't enough. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to kill some dogs and cats and whatever else, you know. Don't kill dogs and cats. Guys, <laughs> but his grandma kept a forty-five in her underwear drawer and uh, tried her damnedest to keep it from Ed. Um, and he was saying something in an interview. He was saying that uh, she would take the gun with her to the store because she didn't want she didn't want him to find it and you know be able to use it or whatever. And he's like, "Can you believe she didn't trust me with the gun?" <laughs> <laughs> and this is like hours after he's caught for murdering six girls and his mom and her best friend. He's can like, you "Can believe you believe it? she didn't trust me? Me? It's like the nerve of someone. Oh my god. <laughs> it's just so distant from it all." <laughs> wow. Uh in August of 1963, at age 15, Ed murdered his grandmother at her dinner table as she reviewed a children's book she had just written. Oh, my God. Can you, can you imagine just going, on, going over your accomplishments, your personal goals? And then you're just shot in the back your, of the head. Yeah, your grandkid <laughs> just comes in and just puts one in you. Well, she didn't know anything about it, so she didn't feel right. like a thing. I mean, that's the only... Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice glass half full way of thinking about it. Well, he he didn't feel that that was quite enough. You know, he didn't feel wow. the one shot to the head was quite enough. Right. So yeah, he shot her uh, in the back of the head, shot her two more times in the back, and then stabbed her in the back three times. So uh, already this is overkill. 
So we're three for three here. Yeah. So when his grandfather was about to walk into the room, he killed him uh, so he wouldn't have to to see her like that. So his reasoning for killing grandpa was just so <laughs> a, he wouldn't have to answer for his actions. B, he thought he was doing grandpa's service. And we, uh, we see this again later. We see right. him doing this again, this kind of like justification because this, he wouldn't have to see her like that. That's a quote from Ed Kemper. He said that he, that's why he killed his grandpa. Like that was his reasoning behind it. Oh, absolutely. Consider it, you know, it's, I mean, uh, if you're looking at it as a way, I mean, in a know, very I'll, small Reasoning, well, he's doing him a favor. All jokes aside, it's it's interesting to have an individual like Ed uh, committed uh, such a violent act, which is typically made by someone who lacks empathy. Yet he takes the time to think about someone's feelings. Yeah, uh, I never he, thought about it like that. That so is so really about, interesting. Yeah, except he's just thinking about it a step too late. Like, instead of saying, I shouldn't kill Grandma because Grandpa would cry. He's like, he's I'll saying, kill Grandpa too. <laughs> I killed Grandma. Shit. Grandpa's going to cry. I should now probably have to fix kill him. this. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's so, not a great. It's. I mean, his logic is there, but his. his, his well, you know, I don't know about his logic, but he still has emotion. It's just a little delayed or yeah. rewired to where it takes a longer route to get to where it needs to be. I don't know, man. He could have executed a little bit differently. Right. Well, no afterwards, yeah, afterward, he called his mother and uh, she told him to call the police. He told him he killed her because he wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma, specifically what it felt like to kill grandma. And you can't get one. You can't get the feeling without the murder. So, I mean, you can't have one no, without I mean, the other. And it was just it was new territory. It was uncharted. And he, uh, I think, you know, and being an adolescent or, you know, a teenager, I mean, he's 15, your, your frontal cortex isn't remotely finished developing. I mean, it, that's where your reasoning is, your cause and effect, uh, your rational judgment. Maybe. And also not to mention he's going through, you know, puberty and his, you know, sexual exploration at this time as well, which right. is I what mean, we kind of get into. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what we get into when he gets sent to. Uh, the mental hospital. So after the murder, he was sent to uh, a Tascadero by the California Youth Authority. So he's 15, 16 years old, hanging out with rapists and murderers um, while he's already had urges to murder his second grade teacher and have sex with her corpse. So probably not the uh, best environment for Ed at this time. No. And we saw this with, with, with Richard Ramirez too because around this age, he had a cousin who went to Vietnam or something like that and he brought back pictures of like dead girls and like girls being raped and stuff like that and that that seeing that and also coupled with being at that age where you're you know your hormones are going crazy because you're going through puberty and everything else and you're confused it just you know with his past and everything it just it's not a good soup for him oh absolutely not i think i was about that same age when an older kid showed me a nudie mag dude and i can i can still remember the effect that it had on me like it was just new information that i was trying to process like, and you don't know how to hell? process it yet right and you're talking you know this guy's bringing in photos of of murder and violence and just like real murder like polarized yeah, kids i mean it's it's good to see when a, a kid is resilient but to to Assume that a child is resilient enough to overcome uh, images or information like that. I mean, they're not 
it's not age appropriate, so they're not adequate enough to, to process that information. But this is before to, internet. You know, this is before people are desensitized <laughs> to all this kind of right. stuff. No, yeah. I mean, I could YouTube at decapitation anytime I'd like, but I've seen so many on the news now that. Yeah, I can look it's, it's up. It's tragic, any- but. I'm not losing my lunch over it, you know? Yeah, I can watch a dude get his head cut off on the internet, and I'm like, dang, that sucks. And then I can go about my day. You know what I mean? I'm not, like, stewing on it the whole time. Right. So, uh, while Ed's in California, uh, he's with the California Youth Authority, he underwent a variety of tests, and it was found that he had a very high IQ. Like I said, it was 145, uh, which uh, can often be uh, common for sociopaths and many serial killers. But it was also found that he had personality trait disturbances as well and passive-aggressive type, which doesn't uh, sound like it fits the profile as far as passive-aggressiveness goes. No, he's pretty aggressive. Well, yeah, you got to be a certain amount of confrontational in order to uh, take a life. Uh, yeah, to murder someone. Yeah. So <clears throat> when he was released at the age of 21 – so basically he he – I, in my opinion, I think he just he outsmarted these tests. He he made psychiatrists believe that yeah, he was because, rehabilitated. Yeah. He had so, some sort of access. I couldn't really find what the oh, access like what he, it was. Uh, no, he had access to the uh, to IQ different files and tests. stuff. Yeah, he no, had different the, access to files. the actual tests. So he basically memorized the question and uh, studied the you know the more logical answer or what you would do because he was administering these tests to other inmates or other patients in this facility. So, right, so he knew what to say to get out of exactly. this Exactly. So, you know, when he was released at age 21, he was strongly suggested by therapists and psychiatrists uh, that he doesn't uh, – that he not go live with his mother, but he wasn't – uh, unstable enough to be facilitated at the time. So uh, when he got out, they basically sent him to his mom anyway because yeah, there's, there's no one else to. They know. Well, there was no one else to nowhere else to send him. I mean, he, I guess he could have been uh, sent, you know, uh, to the state, but I'm not really sure how that works or how it worked at the time, especially. No, I mean, so anyway, yeah. So he goes and sees. He goes back to his mom, and the cycle starts over. Right. Ed Kemper's no dummy. You know, like he knew how to get out of this situation he was in. He knew how to get out of this hospital by manipulating them, basically manipulating the system in his favor. Right. And that's exactly what he did. And that's how he got out. Um, But it's also important to know that he spent – he was there from 15 to 21. So imagine everything you go to from age 15 to age 21. Oh, he missed everything. He missed everything. All of the things that normal people experience, he missed it all. Right. I mean, could you, imagine you see a senior citizen now using a computer. You know, it's it's the hardest struggle. Uh, yeah. It's even hard to watch. So, because they being, weren't, you know, they don't understand it. Right. Being locked away uh, for, you know, six years of, of important developmental years. Those are very, very like important years for a I mean, person. Those are very like not quite as important impressionable as years. your young adolescent years, but but still pretty but important, important for your adulthood, you know. Right. No, I mean it it, it definitely would have helped if, if the nurturing started at a young age that way he could have rebit the you know rehab wouldn't have been an issue first off. And maybe if he hadn't shot his grandparents he you know that also would have been good. Well childhood man I, I think you know, a lot it of it fucks the, you up sometimes. Yeah, don't neglect your children. 
Yeah, no, because it's like it's known that if you neglect your child at a young age, they usually grow up to be you know fucked up somehow. Right. Right. So I, uh, it's just I can't remember the name of the study. I was reading about it a few years ago, but uh, basically there was this. Uh, it was an orphanage run by uh, Catholic nuns. So they wanted to do a uh, a study on nurture versus nature, and so they had oh two, I heard about that yeah right I heard about two that. test groups and they had one group of babies uh, and that was nurtured held. Uh, spoken to, sang to, read to, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then you had the other test group that was basically, the only attention they were getting was during feeding, during changing, uh, the basic necessities for human life to, you know, to sustain. And, yeah. I mean, it showed, like, I, they even had a number of babies in the test group that wasn't being nurtured that had uh, died because of the lack of nurture they were receiving. Jesus. So it's, yeah. It's I mean, weird how knowing you're becoming a dad makes you so sensitive to things like that. Right. And uh, the attachment uh, period starts at six months old, man. Yeah. So it's uh, unbelievable, you know, dude. Right. So those parents that you may, you may be an involved parent, but if you're taking long vacations or, you know, there's a, there's a, frequent babysitter I mean that can that can uh, that can create attachment issues uh, between children and their parents or children and the adults around them so it's it's tragic it's tragic to see this guy who you know he, who knows he might have been brilliant regardless of his violent behavior but yeah he, I mean had, a lot of he, sociopaths are CEOs and they're millionaires you know yeah it just he did he didn't uh he wasn't taught how to use it. No, he wasn't taught anything. No. Well, the behavior he did learn was extremely negative. Right, exactly. So um, that's where we're going to stop on Edmund Kemper for today. Uh, we'll be doing a part two. I think we'll be able to wrap it up um, on the next episode because, I mean, we've got we've got the murders to cover, the murder of his oh, mother, her friend, the cutting off the heads. Yeah. yeah, we've got six – we've got eight more murders, you know coming at you uh, on the next episode. So I think we can get one more episode out of Mr. Kemper here. Uh, we do have a little treat planned uh, for about the middle of next week. And I just made this connection, but with Thanksgiving coming up, we've got a feast-related episode coming out for you guys. What? Uh, I never made that connection until I literally was typing the script, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's you know that's perfect. Um, it's and it's not Jeffrey Dahmer, so don't get your hopes up for Jeffrey Dahmer because it's not him. No, I want to keep it fresh. Yeah, literally. Ah, good one. So, ah. as always, if you are enjoying the show, go follow us on Twitter at MJC Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at How the Dogs Chill. Be sure to subscribe and download the episode so we can get some sponsors and annoy you guys with annoy you guys with ads, and you know we can also make some money about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks again for for listening. Thanks again for for chatting it up with me, Corey. Uh, yeah, man, it's I'm here all a, week. Guy, a guy like Ed Kemper, I mean, I could talk about for a few hours. So Johnny was actually actually very reluctant. Uh, he saw where the script ended. Script ended, and he was like, "That's it. That's all we're gonna do." Like he, I think you would have oh, put man. the whole ep- the whole entire thing on one episode. Oh, I, I, dude, I, I'm comfortable. I was gonna sit back and just talk about this guy, and, and it would have been like a fucking two hour episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we don't want to take it. We don't want to do it that much, you know. 
All right. Well, well yeah. Um, we'll be back. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys uh, middle of next week. See you. Middle of next week. Later.